0: And, and we'll end up retreading a little bit because um, the creed is a long. Oh, we're on the creed now? Yeah. We're done with the commandments here? No, We're never done with the commandments, but well, <laughs> I understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah, for now, yeah. Remember, just basic um, principle of that the commandments are given uh, for three reasons. Actually, I don't know if we covered this last week, but I think we did. Uh, we we borrowed this from our Reformed friends, but there's generally three u- ways the Holy Spirit uses the the law or the commands. As um, one, as a mirror. Mirror is two. Good. Curb. Curb is one. And what was the third? Do you remember? I think I learned it as guide. Is that what you learned? Curb, uh, mirror, guide. Oh, I don't. Remember. I don't. Was... Right. This is the more controversial one. It um, doesn't need to be, but it can be. Sometimes the first use is called the civil use. Um, the mirror is called the theological use. And then, depending on who you ask, the guy can be the pedagogue. Oh, a rule. That's oh, I mean. rule. Okay, that's good. That's- but, and, you know, like a ruler helps guide a line. Right, exactly. Okay. hmm. So that sounds complicated. It's really not. It's that, like, we just take one of them. Um, Honor your father and your mother. Generally speaking, most societies have had that as a civil law. That you, that they protect marriage and family. Um, Although our society seems to have lost sight of that. Um, And the question is why? Why deregulate the family? You know, put children in abusive, you know, keep children in abusive, or actually encourage parents to abuse their children, you know, with like all sorts of bad ideas or mutilation or whatever um you know it's because the family is a constitutive element of all society so if you undermine the family you can undermine society if you undermine society then you can take over that's basically because it's really you know mothers and fathers defending their children is the last bulwark from any kind of tyranny so generally speaking even the fourth commandment has been enshrined in law that we protected marriage and family you know generally um, until in our country, until 50 years ago, uh, you couldn't just divorce somebody without fault. There had to actually be, you know, um, then they created no fault divorce, which just allowed people to enter freely and out of marriage, which hurts children, generally speaking. I mean, there's, an, there's cause for divorce, but we're talking about, you know, people just casually going in and out. And of course, that ultimately undermined marriage entirely. Why even get married, you know, if you can just go in and out? Oh, that's kind of Right. And that people took, but people did take matters into their own hands and they said, no, we're going to have things like prenuptials, you know, to try to make it at least cost prohibitive to divorce, <laughs> which doesn't seem like a great way to start your marriage. But I understand if the, if the government's not going to protect your marriage then, um anyway, and family courts are some of the ugliest places to go anyway, but, but they're there, you know, the things that you hear and see. Uh, mirror this is what we call the chief use so it's worth re- reiterating that so the the chief use of the law we talked a lot about this last time is to show us our sin this is why the law was given you know why give the law after they'd already been in egypt for 400 years it's thousands of years after adam and eve right or close to maybe 2000 or 1500 something depending on how you want to date things um, so they give the law, God gives the law to show us where we've gone, right? And he's done it in other ways, too. We talked about the flood, I think, as being like an indication that all, well, he even says it, all, all mankind was exceedingly wicked or evil. They, their thoughts were on evil constantly. Like, whoa, okay. So then he destroys it. Um, and then guide is, is the one, this is sometimes called the Christian use as well. I like that. And that, again, the Holy Spirit takes the law and he applies it to the life of the Christian um, to demonstrate what, like what, what good fruit looks like you know, being made a Christian. Then not, not, not only do you not break your marriage, right. Um, but now by the spirits doing uh, marriage is actually upheld and encouraged and supported. And, um, and you help, and you help one another in their marriages too, in their families. Right. Um, and so maybe that's the origin of something like a Christian day school is actually like, this is hard for us to all do individually. So let's collaborate our resources together and support each other in raising our children, right? Both in God's word, but then also as good citizens and knowledgeable, right? Um, so that's the Christian use. And again, we don't. And one thing that's different between us and the reform on this is that um, they have more of the idea that you take God's word and you apply it so that you're the actor, you're the one doing the thing. You're like, okay, there's the fourth commandment. Now I'm going to put it to good use. And you can do that. You can meditate on God's word. Um, we would emphasize that, that God's word only has its effect because it's comes from uh, comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, so it's actually the Holy Spirit who changes the mind and the heart to be more into these sort of things, to do these things. All right, but we always end up, even as you try to take you know read God's Word and, and apply it to your life, you always end up back with well, but I don't do that. <laughs> you know, I fall short of that, and so that this is confession and absolution is where this, uh, which is why He gives the law. Um, primarily, and, but it has these other ways that it's used applied in civil society and applied uh, to the Christian um, in living a life. Okay, so that's that, that's your little review on the Ten Commandments because I don't think we did that. We might have done that. Um, okay. Well, as uh, we were talking about, Dasha and Ali, too bad they can't be here, they were uh, dynamically leading the conversation, <laughs> which is fine. Um, It's my preference, actually, because the way I think about teaching, I don't know, is I don't come with, like, here's the set curriculum that I have to cover, although I have that. Um, But I think of the classes every time. Well, every time you teach the same material, you teach it differently because the class is different. Yeah. So the goal as a teacher, maybe, is to just have the resources available so that when the questions come in the direction of the class, that you have the ability to then teach towards that. All right. so. So we'll let this go where it goes, which is what we usually do. Uh, we're going to go to the first article of the creed. Let's see, at well, this one point... One the reasons I just don't come is because I feel I talk too much. Mm, no, I would go the other way. Right. My job here is not to talk too much. My job is to let you talk and listen. I told Pastor on um, Friday night at the musical, I said, uh, I feel like we were off the rails last week, Sunday, and <laughs> we have an other... But I feel like I learned more last week, Sunday, than I did the other Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's not going to always be the case. Sometimes that conversation, you'll just be like, I don't understand what these ladies are yapping about. And then you'll just, you know, they just, okay, that's fine too, right? And maybe that's setting expectations in a realistic way, but. Um, you know, this happens with preaching, too. Sometimes the sermon is, for lack of a better way of describing it, kind of high and lofty, big ideas. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, it's like today, it's going to be much more down to earth. Like, how does the Lord teach us to pray? You know, and just kind of a simple instruction on that. So it, it really, uh, well, it depends on the day and the context. And, so we should be studying the Lord's prayer today. Lord's prayer. Uh, it would make sense. Um, although you can think of what we'll, what we'll hear in church as being kind of a preparation then for when we study it. Because... Because I mean, even with the basic sermon, the rest of the service is going to really unload all sorts of ideas on you, right? That maybe you haven't thought about, whether it's the hymnody or the the readings. So there's always more to discuss than what we have time to do. We could spend all day talking if we want. <laughs> all right. So first article, um, I actually don't. I generally don't teach it the way that it's structured, but it's structured according to the way it's. Um, revealed in the scriptures if that makes sense so the the goal of the well maybe we should talk about what a creed is (laughs) we got to back up a little bit do you need this still i can leave it up there okay you see it (laughs) zoom in write it down okay pause pause your video well i know Dasha was taking notes so all right um so the word creed comes from credo probably knew that in Latin and I think usually in the hymnal it may even say credo I don't know maybe it doesn't anymore a lot of the parts have the Latin names but probably not the creed um, and it comes from the Greek word and may, you probably don't know this l'geo. I yeah that's probably I'm not gonna write it in Greek I'll write it in E either. so you see two words there homo and legato all right so homo, you know, um, cause we use that in other contexts as a prefix, that means the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, logeo like logos, uh, logical would be, uses that as a stem. Um, it has to do with words, but this is the verb. This is saying we'll just say saying or speaking. We could say speaking too. All right. Okay. I'm standing in the way of the camera. So, um, creed, Credo means to confess, oh, could also just mean confess. It's sometimes translated that way. Um, but it comes, wh- it comes from this homologeo, to say the same thing, to speak together. All right, so you've heard that like when I introduced like, the Nicene Creed on Sunday, where we say, you know, we confess together uh, and we show love for one another. Right, but we c- it's together. It's a- we're saying the same words together. Um, and I would actually argue that if, if you're not confident about those words, that you actually believe what the creed says, then don't say them yet, study them. And then, you know, as, as you come to believe them, you can confess it. Um, a famous story from a now deceased author. He was a Presbyterian pastor. Um, his name's Eugene Peterson, but he talks about a, a man that was in his parish. He was a spouse. So Teresa came with, his, came with his wife, sat in the pew for 20 years, said, never said anything. Didn't speak anything. Just listen. Um, And then one day he just started saying the creed. So, you know, you ask him, like, what changed? He's like, I believe it now. You're like, okay. Right. So, uh, but it took a while of him hearing before he felt, um, I don't know, comfortable or, or even just the spirit, you know, worked, worked faith. Mm Mm-hmm. I had that in my first parish where where a man had been attending with his wife. He was that he would go to mass and she would go to Lutheran church, and he was there. They would both go to each other's service together, and they they go to two every Sunday. Um, Actually, they came on Saturday night usually. I think it doesn't matter. And um, he did that for he was a twenty year as well. And then you know after a while he's like, Pastor, I think you've convinced me, and I'm like, okay. But it's hard, especially depending on your Roman Catholic family, because it it tends to be very um, tribal, I guess. Or like, he was really concerned what mom would think. He's mom's mama's boy. And, and mom was, mom, mom's attitude about it had changed since he, when he was younger, when he married a non-Catholic, which was a problem at the time. Um, the priest was very... Um, this, I don't know if it was just Northwest Indiana, but I think it's probably true in other places. It was like, you don't marry outside Catholicism. And if you do, he was making them sign promises that the children would be raised Catholic before he would marry them. Mm, okay. Because um, his wife was Lutheran mm-hmm. and he was Catholic, and I think he had to sign something that mm-hmm. the kids would be raised Catholic. And now one of the children turned Lutheran. Oh. And uh, it was after they both died. And oh, he, I see. And the guy said he felt, or his cousin said he felt really bad that he never was, he never attended church with his mom. Hmm. Because he had to be Catholic. All right, got you. Yeah, that was the promise. Um, and and it's, it's actually a helpful, um, it's actually a helpful story. I didn't plan on this, but um, for for those priests at the time, um, and I don't think they do that anymore, mostly. But um, for them, it was important that not only that the children be raised Catholic. So there's important, you know, for longevity of a congregation or parish, but. Um, that they would agree to the whole body of doctrine that the Roman church taught. That was, that was the emphasis there, that they would go through all the catechesis like we do something similar. Um, A more conservative Roman parish will have a three-year program like we do with children, um, sometimes with adults too. And um, it's called RCIA, I think, right? For Christian initiation of adults. I don't know if you've heard of that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I've read the materials. Uh, which is fascinating because it's much more intense than what we do with adults. But the, for them, uh, or for those priests, it was you have to agree to everything. Now, in our church body, we don't. Um, to become a member or to be to consider yourself, you know, part of the congregation officially, is to agree to to this. So the six chief parts, which are uh, generally speaking, like. I guess kind of like the bare minimum is what, how you might look at it. This is what we teach children, like 10 commandments. But to the point, Roman Catholics, 10 commandments, they actually number them the same way, you know, they don't necessarily believe the same thing about what they do, but, or how the Holy spirit uses them. But we have that in common. They confess the apostle's creed. All right. A minor variation on the third article, right? Instead of saying uh, Christian church, they say Catholic church, but we can talk about that when we get to the third article. Um, Lord's prayer, we have that in common. Um, baptism, we have the words, in, we have the right and words in common, but we actually believe a little bit differently about it, what it gives. But that's another conversation when we get to baptism. The Lord's prayer, they don't. Oh, they don't have the long termination. The end. Um, yeah, the the end is a liturgical addition. They will use it sometimes in some services, right? Um, what happened is that Lutheran said it all the time in church. Remember, we talked about this when we talked about worship is that the people didn't say the words. They listened, right? because they didn't know it. It was in Latin. When it was put into the vernacular, and in in our case, into German and then Scandinavian languages, um, the people were saying the words now. They were given the Lord's Prayer to say, which seems incredible that they weren't praying the Lord's Prayer, but they didn't. And so once they said it, and then they had that longer liturgical ending, which is what it is. Yeah, yeah, because it's not in the original text. They just end, you know, deliver us from evil, amen right that's how it's in the Bible Which, yeah Yeah, and then they have this longer ending that we had and even in our catechism you'll note there's the little asterisk and then there's a note at the bottom Luther's original question was what is meant by the word amen and so we even had to change the catechism from Luther because Luther didn't have the longer ending either oh really? yeah it just said amen that's why all the answer is about amen okay. not about for thine is the king of okay. Power." that's quoting from Revelation by the way so yeah. just as a note okay. Yeah, all right. So we had that in common. Baptism, we use the same words. We use follow the same formula. Well, we the right, right, right. We're get, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You're getting ahead of me. <laughs> um, confession, and absolution, both privately. Um, they don't do corporately, but you know, together as a body. But uh, they do it privately. So do we. Um, office of the keys, binding and loosing of sins, same thing. We actually share that in common. Sacrament of the altar, we use the same words. All right now, yes. so the so the word. <coughs> Go ahead. What I don't understand is. They use the same words. Mm-hmm. Drink of it, all of you. Yep. But they don't. Do not it. everybody drinks of it, depending on the parish. Yeah. So then, how is that the Lord's supper? Oh, well, because you're not. You're not. Because it's not complete. Well, I mean, we talked about this, didn't we? That they believe that the I mean, that the blood is in the body. This comes out of medieval um, medieval speculation. From yeah, because if you're receiving the body, then you're receiving blood too, right? What? If you aren't drinking it. Well, can you ever drain all the blood from flesh? Like if you well, slaughter an animal? And... But why i drink of it all, all of right. you? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Well, anyway, I we'll, we'll, yeah, remind to... me when we come to the Lord's Supper to talk about that okay, again. sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so, uh, the, the point being is that even if we have the same words, it doesn't necessarily mean we believe the same thing that those words teach. That's not talking about interpretation, it's just Although that's involved there. Um, but it's all of the accessory teachings that come alongside the thing, the main thing. So we have the Ten Commandments. We have the words in common. But then what do we teach alongside that as to how those words are used or applied? Um, that will differ. Uh, but the point being is that um, we we will then say we're that we're Christians. I have to correct this all the time. I don't know what happened with... Some of the families in our congregation, where they teach their kids that Roman Catholics aren't Christians, and they're like, "I don't know where you got that, but um, that's never been our confession. Not even when when the Pope excommunicated Luther, we still said that there were true Christians in the Roman Church." I think when I was in catechism class, mm-hmm. you know, that's in the seventh grade, and that's a couple years ago, yeah. 20 zillion years ago, <laughs> right? You I mean, You heard that? Mentioned that okay. that the Pope was the end of mm-hmm. Christ. Well, that is our confession. But that doesn't mean that everyone in the Catholic Church is not a Christian. <laughs> even if the public yeah. teaching... Yeah, even if we disagree with the Pope being the Vicar of Christ. Well, and somebody asked me once, it's like, believe in the same God, don't we? Know? I'm
1: like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. As far as I know, yeah. I mean,
0: wow. So this is, this is a problem, but it does connect really well to the creed. Because... Um, while at the same time we'll, we'll recognize each other as being Christian, which we, I, most Roman Catholics do today, even priests. Um, although for a while they didn't, but I think it was John Paul II or maybe it was Benedict who said Luther was wrong, but he shouldn't have been excommunicated. <laughs> it's like okay, um, you know, because it's a bigger tent now. You know, they're not as anyway. Right. Uh, but the point being is that we can we can. We can recognize where we have um, unanimity, where we agree, but still maintain our distinctions as well, um, which is all, that's always been true for the Christian church. It's not just Roman Catholics and Lutherans. The Alexandrians, the Antiochians, Antioch, Alexandria, Rome, they didn't agree in the first century with each other. So different, depending on where they were, what their, what their pagan background was, and you know, what kind of things they were coming out of into Christianity, whether they had been Jews or if they just came, were Gentiles that became Christian. Um, and then local kind of just customs, they didn't agree, um, but they would get together pretty frequently in council then to discuss if there was a major error that was, you know, pervading the church, all the congregations that they recognized, you know, was a common error. Then they would get together to work out how do we respond to this together? even though we we're not necessarily all, we, we, we recognize we don't actually confess things exactly the same way, right? We still recognize each other as, as part of the same body of Christ. This is hard for kids, because um, they're like, well, wait a minute, this came up in chapel this week. I was like, is this church the only church? And I'm like, I would prefer we call what we have here a parish or a congregation of the whole body, which is the body of Christ, the, the Christian church on earth. All right, so that, that would be my preference. Um, we could, then we can distinguish that and say we're just a part of the whole here right and then interestingly enough there's people probably at least if we're going to take god's word seriously um, there's people that are part of this congregation that aren't part of the body of christ they actually don't believe but they just kind of either attend or they've associated their name with the church especially if they don't attend and they've associated the name they don't want to come and you're like well then are you why don't you just say you're not part of this well they don't want to say they're not part of the body of christ but they don't want to connect to a congregation. Right. So that's kind of hard um, because that's where God promises to give him, give them his word. I'm sorry if this is confusing. Make sure. I see. Teresa looks like I'm losing her. I'm losing her. <laughs> well, but at the same time, um, there are, I guess the point is, is even if you're in a congregation that ha- that's confused about maybe what some or a lot of the Scripture says, that doesn't mean that you can be, that the Holy Spirit doesn't work through that and give faith. And you can be yet a Christian, even in a congregation that itself is ostensibly not even. Um, That's Luther's argument to say that even when, even in those parish, those congregations that went so far astray from what God's word teaches, yet in their, in their practice of prayer, they still prayed according to God's word. So God's word was being preserved and true Christians were still found even when the priest was teaching falsely or the Pope was giving decrees that were against God's word or something like that. There were still Christians in the congregation, of course, because the word was still there. Um, so the question is, is then how much same saying or same speaking can you really expect? right? How much unanimity you know, or unanimous voice? Um, and so for the church, um, generally speaking, the creeds are the answer to that. Right? Um, although that isn't to say they didn't argue about them. But in the case of this creed, which we just call the creed, Um, It's the generally we call it the apostles creed and not because it was written by the apostles, which is confusing, um, or it came from the apostles, but that because it teaches the doctrine of the apostles. So when you read the new Testament and you read the creed, um, the consensus of the church since the third century, at least, or second century is this says what the Bible says about God, the father, son, and Holy spirit. Does that make sense? So that we're saying the same thing as the Bible saying. And then, by giving this creed is the creed for the baptized, by the way. So when you're baptized, you get the Apostles' Creed for your daily creed. And uh, then we say this, we say the creed together as well, because not only is it saying the same thing as the Bible, but because we're all Christians together, then we can say it together. All right. Hopefully that makes sense. Same saying, same speaking. Uh, that might sound a little cultic. <laughs> Everybody say the words together, <laughs> monotone, right? Um, and and maybe <laughs> it probably does sound that way, actually, on Sunday. I don't know when you listen to us confessing things together. There's a there's a rhythm and a pattern that just kind of we have to fall into, so that we don't. Nobody's last Sunday. Somebody was way ahead of the rest of us. <laughs> there was a teacher here that says it faster. He had to say it faster than the rest of us. Oh right? yeah. You know, when we were in choir, we were taught, mm. you
1: know, you have to do it together, <laughs> Right. and she just I have always
0: to, had to say it faster. Probably once a week, I have to tell the teachers to slow down in class because we have, yes. yeah, we have eighth graders that could get through it pretty quick, but we also have little people that are still even have a hard time articulating words that quickly because well, I mean, they're morning, still sound, making sounds, Yeah. Prayer, yeah. Right? You go real fast because i tried saying it with you a couple times and it's like okay well i can't go slower because i don't even know i i can't i don't hear you so you no, can't I, really kind of, i understand that it's just no. that you don't. Know, as far as the pace oh I I well that's helpful fast. maybe i should go slower yeah, you don't have to <laughs> okay that. but you but yeah you don't know the pace until you hear and it's really it's based on the room too and the like if you're in a small room like this uh, but has some reverberation, which I think is unfortunate. It's a little too echoey in here for me. But we um, have to go slower then, or especially in church, because otherwise the words all get jumbled on top of each other. Yeah. So the pacing and the timing is that's the reason why the recorded organ doesn't work as well as when we have someone playing, in part, because oh. Ethan plays based off of what he hears. Yes. But not only what he's hearing from the congregation, but how it's sounding in the room. Whereas the recording doesn't care; it just keeps going. <laughs> it's like it doesn't care that you're not up, keep keeping up, or that it sounds all jumbled in the room or whatever. Yes, there's videos that I think that mm. recording goes I so thought it. just like, oh, I can't, I can't really it. slow it down without it sounding kind of robotic, you yes. know, with, you know, like when you listen to pop music. So, all right, so that's that's Creed. That's probably good enough for now. We'll have to review it again for Allie and whatnot, and Dasha, and Marla. I don't know. She's camping again, maybe. I, I didn't hear from her. She left her car here, so I don't know. They must have just taken off after the play. All right, so first article. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So there's quite a bit to be said there, right? Um, God, what is God? Uh, do you have a basic definition when somebody says, you know, what is God or a God? Supreme being, yeah. That's what a lot of people say. Ruler of all things, yeah. Um, for some, I think it's probably, you know, that which gives us meaning or sense of purpose, you know, like there's uh, theories about the creation um, by generally by non-Christians, but they talk about what they call God being like the watchmaker, the one who set things in order and put things in place and get, uh, got things into motion. Which actually we don't disagree with that part of, but't that's not just all who God is because he, he still preserves, yeah, so yeah, preserves. yeah, so they have kind of like a disconnected God, but at least there's a first what do you want to say? Um, an origin or a fir- first mover is the language the philosophers use, the one who made somebody had to start it, even the big bang, somebody something or someone had to cause it to bang. after that, he could walk away, but yeah. So even the evolutionary, evolutionists will suggest that there's got to be, yeah, at least the honest ones, I think. (laughs) Right. Um, We would define God, I would say, according to the first commandment. Um, It's anyone or anything that we put our fear, love, and trust in. So that could be negative. It could be the wrong God that we fear. Oh, I don't know. um, Fear the government or something that which we love. It could be money. You know, money can become a God. Jesus will warn us about that a couple of times this summer. Um, trust. You can put trust in material things is probably one the thing we put a lot of trust in, right? Yeah money. Yeah, money again. Yeah, money's kind of common. We can do what we want. But we can even trust in like like our health. Like I'm going to... And, and then when Barb knows, you get older, things you're like, no, I can't really trust that I'm, my body's going to work tomorrow. you know? right. Yeah, No. Uh, Fear, love, and trust in God above all things is the first commandment. So I would suggest that's the best definition. But here in the first article, it does something interesting. Um, It says the Father Almighty. And uh, with a few exceptions, for the most part, the, the Old Testament doesn't call God Father. There's a couple exceptions to that in the prophets, but for the most part, he's never called Father. He's called the Lord or if you prefer Hebrew Yahweh, that's not really Hebrew, but okay. Um, he's called God. He's called I'm trying to think of some other ones. Maybe some of the attributal names like the Almighty. Yeah. yeah. Um, I am. Oh, I am. Yeah, yeah, the divine name. So yeah, you have that, but you don't have Father. And so right away in the creed, if you are a new Christian, especially if you're coming from paganism and your God was maybe not even a person, maybe like the Mother Earth or something. Or even then, it's Mother Earth. That doesn't work. Gaia, I guess. Um, to have the idea that you would call God Father is already introducing an idea that would be a little strange, actually. Um, I suppose maybe not for Norse people, because they had Odin is the All-Father, So they call the All-Father. Um, but anyway, it's and by saying he's Father, then we're already presuming that he has... Hmm. that's true. Good. Children? Children, yeah. Or in, in particular in the Creed, a son, right? And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Oh, um, right. Okay, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the important point here is that the Creed opens up with a statement that almost expects you to have already heard of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're not like, well, wait a minute, he's a father, father of who? Uh, sometimes people get confused about this, and they consider, they say that, um, God as father means he is he's created me. And there is there is a truth in that because you've been reborn by water and the word and even God knit you together in his in your mother's womb, but he's not your father by by making you. He's your creator. He's your father by adoption. Adoption, right? The Bible talks that way about yeah. baptism. Yeah, as adoption uh, or being reborn by water and the word or by the spirit and the word or water depending on which text you want to read. Um, which is likened to adoption or it's likened to new birth, right? So, uh, i not trying to confuse too much, but when you think of um, God as creator, that's not analogous to father, would be my assertion. It's, it's different. Um, to call him father is already now going to presume that you're going to be reborn, you're going to be given or being adopted later. And that doesn't come till the end of the second article and then into the third article. So right away in the first article, they're already kind of you're anticipating the work of the Son and the Spirit, who's coming, just with that word Father. Okay, that's a heady idea. It's not a simple idea, but it's there. Um, Almighty, we that's uh, that He has all power. I guess right, might is power. And uh, Barb, when you went through the catechism, you probably covered all sorts of other all words, right? All knowing. Oh, they were Omni, Omni, right? You learned. See, they learned Latin words. Omni, present, omni, omni everything. Yeah, so omni meaning all. So uh, omni, omniscient is mind. Omnipotent is power, potent, is power. Um, omni, present. Omnipresent um, is all, present everywhere. Um, I don't know, other attributes of, of God and his divinity, right? Now, that I say that because then with Jesus, he bears all those same attributes. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. Well, he's gone. Except, except not always well, like, he says like regarding the last day Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour except for the father so even the father hasn't revealed that does. to his son Right. So just separate them. It's <laughs> <a different God. laughs> right. well and this is important when we talk about the creed is that we're, we're as we say in the Athanasian creed we'll do that in a few weeks which is the third of the creeds that all of our churches share in common so apostles is the daily prayer the daily creed nicene creed is generally associated with the lord's supper so um, for us that's every sunday and then um although it's that's the tradition it's not necessary but i follow the tradition on that some churches will do the apostles with the lord's supper as well um but that's why the nicene is listed first and the Apostles second is to indicate that preference traditionally all right anyway and then um The third is called the Athanasian Creed. It's named after Athanasius, but it was written after he died. But it is actually the response of some errors in the church and a bunch of the pastors from all over and all these different congregations and different church bodies got together into a council. It's called an ecumenical council, meaning it's of the whole, of all the people, and said, and then they, they wrote together over the span of, I don't know, probably 30 or 50 years, that creed. Kept working out new drafts, you know, get the... We want to get all the words just right. There are, there's one word in particular that they still argue about, between especially between the churches of the West, which we belong to, or the churches of the East. But actually, two points in the the creed there. But in the Athanasian Creed, um, now I can't remember what I was going to point out in that creed. Because I it did distinguishes... Oh ah, yes, not not um, confusing the persons, but just dis- not. Yeah, it's not confusing. Not confusing the substance, but distinguishing the persons. We're going to chant it this year, just for fun of it. Since I have an organist, we <laughs> okay. usually say it responsively. We're going to try to sing it responsively. There's there's almost no way because it's so long. It's, yeah. it's 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 like a whole page in you the hymnal. <laughs> we have to sit down for it, it's too long. There's almost no way to make it interesting for people. So, but, um, yeah. Anyway, that's another story. That's a different creed. That's a longer creed. It almost defeats the purpose of the creed when it's that long. Because the idea is, this is something that um, I can m- memorize, hopefully. Um, commit to memory that will be readily at hand when someone says, well, who is Jesus? And you can say, he's, he's God's, God the Father's only son. He's my Lord. He's redeemed me by his body. by Not with gold or silver, but his uh, innocent suffering and death with his precious blood. You know, you, you have these things at, at hand. That's the purpose of the creed. Even a child then can just say, here's what I believe. Even if you don't necessarily have Bible verses to quote, right, Is to prove it. At least then you can say, here's what I believe, right? Um, hey, have you memorized the Athanasian Creed? No. Okay. No. I mean, large chunks of it. One of the things I did in Indiana, my last parish, uh, well, two parishes ago, if you count the interim, um, is we, because of the frustration people had, um, we said it four times a year. Not just on Trinity Sunday, but three other times a year. Um, then people became much more familiar with it, and it wasn't nearly as difficult, because you just said it more often. And you're like, yeah, it's not that long. I mean, it takes a couple more minutes, but... Um, and then we could, and then things, people say, well, what did, Pat, you know, in Bible study afterwards, you know, what did we mean by that phrase? Like, but you can't really... If you're not familiar with it, then you don't start to ask questions about it, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, by the way, since I mentioned uh, memorization, the reason for a creed, which we should have done, I already erased it, um, is especially until the Reformation, pretty much, people didn't have Bibles to read. The, the printing press was invented 100 years before the Reformation, so what is that, 15th century? Late 15th, and it wasn't really popular until the um, 16th century, uh, widely used. And the, the printers, they had printers in every town by that point, and they were desperate to print stuff because they just, because it was big money, right? Um, and, but people still couldn't read necessarily, so it was a lot of picture books. <laughs> they would do woodcuts, you know, and then, yeah. They had they have movable type, which was Gutenberg, but they would also still do, they'd do, like the catechism had um, had corresponding woodcuts when they gave it to children. So they'd have the words, but not all the kids could read. Most of them couldn't. So then they'd have a picture to illustrate it. Oh, okay. So it was in an illustrated catechism. Um, we still have those, and there's so many. They printed so many of those illustrations that you can find them all over Germany, even today in museums. That they're all available. There's there's one set that we isn't available that I still can't find. Somebody, I'm sure it has to be in somebody's barn or something. <laughs> but they made a, I made large format posters for each part of the creed. We've tried to replicate what we think they were. Um, CPH has a set you can buy, other people do, that you could put in the home that poster, you know, poster size. Alright, so, uh, but the point was, is that, you know, why did you need pictures? Because you couldn't read. So, we've, I think we talked about, our churches were um, unique in that, um, is that we started parish schools, so there wasn't public education. That didn't happen until the late, you know, 19th century in America. We inherited that from Germany. And the, and the Prussian Union. So we brought some of the worst parts of the Prussian Union to the United States, but um, but for the most part, it was the church that ran a school for the community, and it was a charitable venture. Of course, generally speaking, most people, there was only one congregation per town, generally, not until another couple hundred years would there be like two churches in the same town that were competing with each other, because whatever the mayor or the prince believed, then everybody else believed that, So. Uh, but there was be a school, and it was a Latin school, so it taught the kids Latin so that they could pray in church, but then they could also read um, and uh, both boys and girls too, which was unique, that hadn 't been done before. Um, you had to be basically a noble woman's or nobleman 's daughter to, to do any kind of learning and even then, not really till the 20th century, um, in the secular world, um, were there opportunities for women uh, for higher learning It's a whole other story. But, but our schools were teaching um, the kids to read so that they could read the Bible. That was the point. But before that, um, especially children, but really adults too, for the most part, because tradespeople or whatever, would have limited knowledge of this. And of the, they had limited need to be able to read. Maybe accounting, some numbers, but not necessarily words. And um, so t- teaching them something out loud that they could then speak out loud, and doing that consistently and regularly was a way then to say, okay, even if you don't know and you can't quote a lot of Bible verses and you, you haven't read the whole book, you know, of Matthew or something, do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the Creed? Do you know the prayer? Do you know what baptism is? Do you know what the Lord's Supper is? Do you know what confession is? Okay. So you have that kind of like, here's what's necessary to know, truly really to call yourself a Christian, is what we would argue. And that's what the Creed functions as, uh, especially in, the, in an illiterate society which is a key there now if you're literate if you're literate our the presumption is is that if you read the bible you're going to end up saying the creed anyway okay um i don't know i mean that's the presumption (laughs) i've never put it to the test not giving someone the creed and then just gave them a bible and see if they came up with the same thing yeah. yeah um all right so god the father almighty and then maker or creator of heaven and earth all right, so um, heaven can mean any number of things. <laughs> it can mean th- the sky. It can mean the stars and planets. Or it can mean the place or wh- however, whatever existence God dwells in. So heaven is distinct from earth, creaturely existence. But if he's present everywhere, as you said, then heaven is here too, but not by sight. You know what I mean? Now we're talking metaphysical stuff. And, yeah. and now- yeah, and that's about as far as we can go. So uh, when we say we're going to uh, die to be with the Lord in heaven, it just means wherever he is, which is actually everywhere. So that's interesting um, thought to kind of get your head around. So then Luther's explanation is pretty straightforward. Um, and, and notice it's just, I believe. By the way, the creed um, originally was, we believe. But, you know, which makes sense if you're confessing it together. Yeah. But we changed it to I. Um, I think that that makes sense. It, It is a personal confession of faith as much as it's a corporate one. But I believe that God has made me and all creatures. So there's nothing made which God did not make. And that he has given me, my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses. And then to your point, Barb, still takes care of them. So he's not just a watchmaker. But he's the one that keeps it all going, causes the rain to fall, the sun to shine, the, the seed to sprout. I'm just quoting the Old Testament here. He causes, he knits you together in your mother's womb. There's no conception of a child apart from God's doing, um, despite everything that we seem to think we can do to control conception. Um, it's only by God's giving. As that's our confession theologically. Um, and notice everything that's involved there. These categories are interesting. Um, they, they do echo the New Testament in particular but Luther is not so interested in philosophy he's more interested in confessing that there is no aspect of you that wasn't given to you by God so however you want to <clears throat> bifurcate yourself up into parts do you think of yourself in different parts obviously your fingers toes and that sort of thing right but like well there's my soul and then there's my spirit I don't know how my soul and spirit differ and then my body or there's my what was another one my heart because when we talk about the heart there's the thing that beats the muscle right but then we also talk about it being like the seat of faith however you want to break it down it doesn't really matter right (laughs) except except the point is is that god gives it and takes care of it okay so that's important yeah then that's what he means by creator um and then this is to the what was the give us this day our daily bread we haven't gotten the lord's prayer yet sorry um He's anticipating a little bit. He gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. So not just everything that that is me, but everything that belongs to me too, is a gift from God, which is beautiful as well. Um, I always ask the children, though. Then why don't you why don't you ask for a Lambo? And they're like, What's a Lambo? I'm like, A Lamborghini. And they're like, What? Why would I want one of those? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, people want those things for some reason. You know, it's like a oil change. I I don't know why you would want one. Okay, well, it's it's on the the scale of long term maintenance and cost, um, probably not all that different from a Lambo. They last longer. Um, They don't rust out as easy. As easy. Anyway, yeah, so everything, right? And notice the things that Luther lists are not superfluous. They're not, um, what do you want to say? Luxury. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, that's why the Lambo is excluded. None of these are we would consider luxuries. I mean, I suppose you can go without shoes. My kids hardly ever wear shoes, even when they go out in public. But now they're weird that way. We make them wear shoes. Well, it is good for your for your posture and for your toes and all that kind of stuff. Well, and you can buy shoes that are have little fingers, the Vibram, the five fingers that they have no soul. They're just it's basically just a way to protect your feet. But it's like, but it's a rubber. It's like a rubber slipper, yeah, it's like a, sock. a rubber sock, but with fingers, too. So your toes can flex. So it's like wearing no shoes, but it's yeah. And there's also low anyway, you don't need to know this. But shoes, um, you think clothing. God gave that to Adam and Eve right away after their sin. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, shoes, you see Jesus taking off sandals and anointing and feet. So he's careful about feet, food and drink. That's obvious promise from God. You want to use the wilderness wandering for that? Here's manna and water, right? Um, house and home. Um, house and home are different. So house is dwelling. So that could be a tent. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, solid walls and that kind of thing. Or it can be a thatched roof. It could be clay. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that God has provided homes, but or houses, I should say. Home is different. That's that's the family, and within the family, then his wife and children. Um, so this is addressed to fathers clearly, but then fathers to children and to sons, but also sons and daughters. So if you want to substitute in husband and children, fine. (laughs) Or spouse. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Land, animals and all I have. So you note that for Luther, I think Luther's reflecting on the Old Testament, that God's people have almost always been agrarian. Uh, Meaning they're farmer, you know, farmer type. Shepherds, right? You have that. Um, Also nomadic. And it's when they settle that they start to mimic places like the children of Cain or um, Babel, right? Or Jericho, right? When they settle into city. You're probably not city people, are you? Because you live here, right? (laughs) Okay. Are you offended by the city? Does it make you uncomfortable? Okay. all right. It does for me. I've lived in Chicago, and that was enough more than once. The first time I said, I'm never going to live there again. And then we did again. but. It's fun when you're young and you don't have kids and everything, but uh, especially now it's not even safe. But it's like these things always devolve. That's kind of the point. But anyway, Luther has that in mind. Uh, land and animals are good gifts well, from God. That is the basis of our life. I mean, we need land and animals. Well, yeah, because we want food and drink. Right, exactly. Yeah. Without them. yeah. So yeah. That's what we need. Not what we need. Uh, and Luther's not presuming that everybody has the same gift and in the same quantity. Because the Bible doesn't either. Everybody's given, dif- given to differently. But he still, however, whatever you receive, he wants you to think um, in terms of contentment. So he says, he richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. It doesn't always seem that way. Um, but in this explanation, I think Luther rightly, from the scriptures, trying to encourage you to think of, like, whatever God has given me, it's for my good and it's what I need. Even if it's not exactly what I think I need or what I want or... I would rather not, like, go through an economic collapse and, you know, um, whatever we're experiencing. You know, well, it's a, for whatever reason, God wants that for us now, uh, maybe to repent us of, stop, you know, trusting in constant economic growth, which is, I think it's a little deceiving, but that's what we had. All right, so it may be hard, uh, but, but he w- we want to remember that God has promised to always take care of us. Um, what that looks like can be different. A friend of mine was in Madagascar. Um, the largest Lutheran church in the, in the world is in Madagascar, if you didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, Christianity is based in Africa today for all intents and purposes. More Christians in Africa than anywhere else. Africa is a big continent. Um, yeah, and after, I think after the Malagasy church, the next largest is Kenya, maybe? We're way down. Like you have to put all the Lutherans together in America to even get close to the number of Lutherans that are there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he was walking, and there was a woman working in a, in a field, um, and she had she was carrying a child on the front and back, and there were children helping her, older children helping her. And he just told the story, and it, it was profound that I won't forget it. They said that, that she turned and she looked at us walking. They were wearing like pastor garb, uh, and she smiled at us, and we looked, and, you know. And his thought was like. How are you smiling when you're like doing this hard labor and you've got these, you have a, you're, she's carrying a child in the front and back and there's, and she's working hard and, and yet she's content and apparently like there was true joy on her face, you like to see the pastor and, you know, this kind of thing. Very strange, right? It's like, well, how can you be content with that life? Probably not living in a home that we would, you know, maybe no running water that kind of thing either. Yeah. Yeah. My sister in law had her last son. They were missionaries in Africa. Yeah. In Liberia, and the women went out to the rice field and you carried your baby on your back, right? Yeah. And he got so sunburned because he was fighting. Oh, right. <laughs> and he <still> has <laughs> cars from when So that's fresh. like what what is that, third degree, fourth degree? She Whatever kind of burn, right? But you don't have the melanin for that, or whatever. Well. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she realized that. I mean, it was young; she was young, and they were beginning their ministry. And yeah, that's regret there. Yeah. But you know, he's a pastor now, and mm-hmm. you know, also. yeah. on um, what scars? We all have scars. I mean, doesn't say they don't hurt. So we can pick up there because when we talk about Jesus, we'll have to and just out of necessity return to the Father. You can't talk about having a son unless without a father. Yeah. So the other ladies can join us then and we'll be get back to it. All good? All right. Thank you. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center